Welcome to TMI, a podcast by Henry Ford Allegiance Health. And today it is another day in, do you remember what day it is since the beginning of this uh, pandemic, Tim? It's How many days has it been? I think know? it's Friday, right? That's, is that good enough? Friday is yeah. good enough, right? It's like 200 and some days or <laughs> something since uh, it's COVID getting, started. It's getting closer to the holidays. That it I is. know. Yeah. And today we were talking about what's on everyone's mind, the pandemic, COVID-19, all that stuff. So yeah. we wanted to bring someone in who is just knows so much about this and has helped our community in many different ways. Uh, so Tim, could you introduce Yeah, we have uh, Dr. Cortland Katane here with us. He has a couple of specialties. He's focused on occupational medicine and then also preventive medicine, which is why he's joining us uh, today. Um, which is is a public health specialty, and we all we all know that you know COVID nineteen is a public health issue. So, uh, welcome, Dr. Katane. Thank you. It's uh, it's good to be here. Great. And you can't you can barely even notice, but we are wearing our masks. You can kind of hear it a little bit in the microphone, um, but yeah, my We're being beard, good. My my beard kind of gets in the way. Cortland, you don't have a beard anymore. I had to I had to shave. Wow. The um the the N95 use with the beard; those two things are not compatible. So exactly. it was, uh, it was time. It was time for it to go. Yeah. So Tim, what what what's, what do you want to ask here? Well, yeah, I'm just we're we're obviously heading towards the holidays, um, and you know, in the news recently too. Obviously, we've seen, I guess, a second surge. What what are some ways? Maybe there's some additional ways, and I think there's some common ways we've been hearing that steady drumbeat to help help keep our loved ones safe. You know, as we head towards the holidays. Yep, uh, I think that's a that's a good question. You know, a lot of that hasn't really changed from the very beginning, and you know, we've been, I think, preaching this, you know, hand washing and mask wearing, uh, the social distancing, uh, that all still really really applies. You know, the um, I think we have all gotten gotten tired mm-hmm. <laughs> as we've been doing this for months and months and months um, and months and months. And and so and I think we're we're seeing that with the with the increase in cases now in the community in particular uh, that it's it's been harder for people to to socially distance and isolate and and do those things and so we've seen the increase in cases. Th- those strategies are still the most effective. Okay. Um, and as we go into the holidays, everyone's going to want to get together and see family and get big groups, uh, but but we know those are those are risky activities. Mm-hmm. And so it's the, um, you know, limiting those group sizes and trying to stay within, um, within people that you interact with on a daily basis in your home are going to be the safest ways to, mm-hmm. to prevent spread of the virus. What, what about if we, if people in a family do kind of like the NBA bubble concept where like they quarantine for two, mo- two weeks ahead of time and then have a family gathering? Is that a safe thing or is that not really going to work? No, I think that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. And um, it could be the Thanksgiving bubble, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so th- so we know that we know that when somebody is exposed um, to COVID nineteen with somebody that has COVID nineteen, that it can take up to fourteen days uh, to develop symptoms, and so um, we feel pretty confident at that point that uh, obviously that full quarantine period that that nobody's really. Unless they've developed symptoms, they're not a risk anymore at that point, right? By day by day fifteen. Mm-hmm. So I think to do something like that, to do that true quarantine for fourteen days, is actually mm-hmm. a very it's a very interesting concept. And I think um, yeah, the Thanksgiving bubble is is a good idea. Yeah. Thanksgiving yeah. or Christmas or hopefully holidays, maybe right. you can kind of limit 
limit your bubble size probably, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think the you know the I think the caveat or the thing to um, you know bring up with that is there's a lot of people that have tried to go get testing and right. and and, um, and then they're you know kind of quote clean right. <laughs> and then they can get together mm-hmm. um, and that really doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Um, the the test is really so the test we use here uh, and that most most organizations use that is the most accurate is the um, the PCR test. So it's looking for the genetic material of the virus. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that is giving you basically a snapshot in time where mm-hmm. uh, it'll tell you if the day that you're tested, you were, you were infected. You had a viral load that was high enough for the test to detect. Right. So people could be exposed the day before or the day of or the day after, and the test isn't necessarily going to capture that. Um, someone could have been exposed five days before they have the test and then they still don't have a viral load that's high enough that the test is going to detect and then they get sick you know two three days later so the sort of test of clearance concept before getting together really isn't a safe it's not really a safe way to do it it doesn't really guarantee that somebody's not going to be sick okay Hmm. and i imagine with with testing i know early on there was an issue with having enough tests and if people are trying to do that, I imagine that could kind of um, not swamp the system, but at least it definitely strain. strains. It definitely strains resources, and and I think it was certainly a more prevalent uh, behavior probably earlier on. Uh, but it does put a strain. And now that we've got the the amount of cases, I mean, if you were to actually compare, uh, I was looking at this this morning. You know, that's kind of like this. This, the, there's sort of multiple waves that have happened. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm just talking specifically about Jackson County right now, but we would have in the spring back in March and April, something around 20 or 25 cases a day at the very highest, busiest you know, point. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're up over 150 cases per day at this point. So we're significantly busier now than we were before. Uh, the drive through here will process 400 plus uh, vehicles. Um, uh, per day through the drive-through, so it's it's a much uh, it's a much busier environment right now, and so that type of testing is the kind of testing that would add add strain and would prevent us from you know keeping the resources focused on mm-hmm. the people that really need it who are symptomatic. And I guess with the the testing going through, is it um, it's really we're trying to find those people that you know that are showing symptoms, right? That, that's really the goal is to make sure we're identifying those people. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the the goal with with a public health response um, when you have a communicable disease like this, and that doesn't matter if it's if it's COVID or or you know anything else we've known about for much longer, like mm-hmm. measles or yeah. pertussis or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we do, we do the testing to identify um, individuals that have the disease. And then once you know that someone has the disease, they're called a case. And uh, anyone who's been uh, in contact or exposed to that individual is called is called a contact. And the reason we need the testing is to identify the case and then understand who has been exposed to that case. Okay. And so with COVID, uh, a lot of people are actually asymptomatic, which is why the CDC has recommended uh, that people who are um, asymptomatic, but were exposed, um, also get tested because if they become positive, we need to know that because we need to know about their contacts and if they've exposed other people as well. So 
uh, this is all about the, this, it's called contact tracing, but understanding, you know, who has been exposed to someone. And then, and when you then quarantine, yep. you prevent them from exposing other people. And that's how you interrupt the spread of the, of the virus. And sorry, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. And I, I believe there's like new tools out now, even on my phone here, I downloaded the Michigan contact tracing app that mm-hmm. came out, I think last week or so. Um, yeah. And I haven't been contacted through it yet, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and how is, I guess with, I know you said there's a lot more positives now than there was in the spring. I guess, how is that contact tracing going? Cause I mean, you know, I've heard mixed results or mixed. Well, it's, it's put a, it's definitely put a stress on resources for sure. And, uh, we've had to rely, I think a lot more just on people in the community to, to really do the right thing and help, you know, contact, contact others if they know that they've tested positive in the spring, the health department. So each County, each County in Michigan has a health department mm-hmm. and uh, that County health department's job in a situation like this is to help provide that contact tracing ability. Uh, so if somebody tests positive, they'll help track down everybody that person was, was um, or that person exposed and in a, non-COVID environment, uh, that's often with things like tuberculosis. Um, that's probably the most common one where mm-hmm. somebody will get a case of tuberculosis and then we track down who has been exposed to that case of TB. Okay. So so they were, uh, they have been doing that uh, ever since the beginning at the health department here. Based on the caseload now, they've had to really focus on places where the tracing is the most important. So they've really focused on uh, like long-term care settings where there are people mm-hmm. that are immunocompromised, uh, group kind of group housing or group facilities, um, as well as if there are large events or uh, so think about you know, getting together for church or people yeah. going to movie theaters or things. You have a lot of people together at the same time. They've tried to focus on those types of events where a lot of people potentially could have been impacted, um, as opposed to kind of individual households or things along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it is the holiday season, so there will be plenty more of those religious holidays where people gather. Yes, there. That's absolutely right. That's going to be a tough one to navigate. So, I guess with with that coming up too, like, like Dave mentioned, you know, what what are some things to consider if somebody's trying to decide should I host a gathering, should I not, like, or go somewhere? I mean, yeah. You know, I know. Imagine there's a lot of conver- we're having conversations in our family on what mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't think there's a there's no good answer to that. <laughs> Uh, the the safest thing to do is to not gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to be very you know very blunt about it, there are ways to do it more safely. I think Dave's suggestion of people quarantining beforehand is really a good idea. Uh, and you know, a lot of people have been working in really remote type settings and have been able to be very careful, and so their risk is much lower. And of course, if there's people you live with, you're exposed to on a daily basis, or you're already you're already with those people on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But but getting together in general with with other people, it does every time you do that, you do increase the risk of exposure. And and I would be particularly, um, I would say, just careful with you know the people that are um, maybe older, immunocompromised, have chronic medical conditions. Uh, if people are trying to gather, there may be certain folks within the family that um, it's much riskier uh, to bring those into a larger group than others. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So is there kind of, I know there's kind of limits on the size of gatherings. Is there a good number to stick with or is it kind of 
just who about who you're working with or meeting with and how long you're going to be there? How does that all work together? Yeah, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know that there's a, so whether, whether it's, whether it's the six feet in 15 minutes, right, which is the recommendations mm-hmm. on social distancing and what's an exposure um, or the number of people that's considered, you know, a large group, you know, those are really things that are based on really kind of what you'd call expert consensus or there's a bunch of people that get together and say, well, we think that this probably makes sense. Um, you can still be outside of six feet and get exposed to COVID and yeah. you can you can spend 30 seconds with somebody and if they cough on you, <laughs> doesn't matter if it's been 15 minutes, right? You get yeah. coughed in your yeah. face, it's an exposure. So, so these are all kind of just parameters. And so I don't think I would set a specific rule on the number of people per se, or mm-hmm. uh, people need to use good judgment. Right. And more people from more households is going to increase risk. Fewer people from less households is going to decrease risk. Um, it's that, That's just the fact of the matter. Hmm. That's good. So so if we do say we do have somebody that, um, you know, had a loved one earlier this year and they, they did get COVID and they've obviously re- they've recovered, I guess, would they be considered like a, a safe person to have over? I guess, how does mm-hmm. that work? I mean, do they have immunity still? That's a really, yeah, or? that's a really good question. The immunity question is one that has has, uh, I think, persisted from the very beginning. And people have talked about doing antibody tests as like your passport to go back into the world, right? right? I have my COVID antibody, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's probably a simple and a more complex answer to to that question. It does appear that people do generate antibodies uh, to COVID. And it does appear that those antibodies provide some protection. Okay. we don't really know how long they last. And there are now uh, clearly documented cases of people that have had COVID more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, that's happened here in Jackson County, actually. Wow. Okay. So there's some time frame in which the, the immunity wears off. And so it's really hard to say when that is. It's kind of a general rule. We don't actually retest people who have had COVID for, uh, for 90 days. Um, after they had it originally. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's really two reasons for that. One is that the test can still be positive and it can be falsely positive because they can still pick up little pieces of viral material. Okay. Um, but also some thought that there might be some immunity that's conferred. But but again, that's, um, that's not really a hard and fast rule. And if someone were to get sick again within the 90 day window, we'd still probably test them again and treat mm-hmm. them like they had a new infection. So I think it's really kind of, it's sort of thin ice to be walking on to say this person's had COVID before, they can't get it again and they're safe. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't recommend doing that. Uh, yeah, I would, I, yeah. Yeah, if they're coming over, they should, be, they should be wearing a mask. They should still be doing they all those They should still be doing all the same things. Yeah, it's still a mask. It's still washing hands. It's still staying, you know, mm-hmm. distant. Um, and in fact, I mean, as we're talking about holiday gatherings, <laughs> the ways that most of the cases that have happened with our own employees here at Allegiance um, have been spread by people who are eating together. <laughs> mm. So they take their lunch breaks and yep. and sit down and they want to talk. And they've been really good about having PPE on during the day and in clinic or in the hospital, but then they still want that social time and they sit and they eat. And that's when a lot of the exposures have happened. The, vi- um, the virus doesn't take a break when you're eating. The virus doesn't take a break. It doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. It's still there. Uh, so, so now we've worked really hard to, to try and stagger lunch breaks mm-hmm. and do things to help you know, interrupt that. 
but it's hard. We're social people. We're social animals, right? We want to interact with each other, yeah. and and lunchtime is a fun time to do that. Yeah. And you can't keep a mask on while you're eating and drinking. That's yeah. just the fact. No, right? Not possible. Well, what about? Um, I've seen a lot of people think of this concept of like having their dinner outside, like on the porch or patio. Maybe get some heaters. You know, have Thanksgiving dinner outside. Is that safer? Is is that going to help at all? So. So I think the short answer to that is that is definitely more safe than mm-hmm. being inside. Uh, it's it's pretty clear that it's harder to transmit COVID outdoors than it is to transmit it indoors. It does definitely linger in the air, and uh, there's 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 disagreement uh, in the academic world about what is uh, what is a droplet versus what's aerosolized. Yeah, which is probably not worth getting into, but whatever it is those particles tend to stay in the air when the air doesn't move. Okay. When we're indoors, the air is not really moving, right? right? Outside, the air does move. And so it's, that is definitely a much, uh, a much safer place to be. I think it's harder to get COVID when you're outside and the air is, the air is moving around. So mm-hmm. as a way to help reduce risk, I think that's, a, that's another interesting, interesting idea, but there is still, there definitely still is risk even if you're, even if you're outside. Yeah. And it's still gonna be a tif- difficult thing in Michigan in the winter. <laughs> To uh, stay exactly. outside for very long, right? And, and gather. You might need a lot of heaters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you put up a tent or something, and then all the air's not moving again, and you're in the same <laughs> yeah. position. You were. Yeah, so, so, sounds like the restaurants around here. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, that is one kind of um, meeting. What about some of these virtual things? Do you think that might be a better opportunity for people um, to gather virtually? I, or I think that's definitely anything? an alternative. Um, it's definitely a challenge to have virtual Thanksgiving or have virtual meetings right. with whole families. Uh, and everyone doesn't always use the technology well and everybody's talking at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that is what my family is doing. Uh, ah. We are, we usually have a big sort of 30 person gathering right? and uh, everyone is, is staying home and cooking for themselves this year. And we are doing just a big zoom call with, with everybody at the, at the appointed time. Right. We're doing the same kind of thing. Um, I think I'm going to bring my mom in to kind of help me cook, cook the Turkey mm-hmm. like over mm-hmm. zoom. So I don't mess it yeah. up again. Yeah. But my, my, my mom has been in our bubble since yeah. this summer. She's been like the one person yep. who's been like, That's cause she, and she's on her own. So it's not like there's lots of other people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm used to, I'm used to others really, uh, digging in and cooking the food, right. It's, they have real <laughs> expertise in some mm-hmm. of these dishes. Uh, and I have none of those things. Uh, <laughs> but so this year I'm going to have to do my own turkey, which is going to be a, a yeah. tremendous challenge. <laughs> yeah, I just bought one of those turkey thermometers that you stick in there. Yeah, it's a whole thing. There's a whole oh, science to it. Then I got to figure out how to thaw it out. Yep. I should probably get working yeah. on that. <laughs> I, I guess on food too, I've heard some people, you know, talking about like maybe if they live nearby somebody, like their family, can they drop off? Like, uh, like somebody makes the turkey huh. and they, you know, fill up some of the pan drop it off at the doorstep, ring the bell and, you know, somebody gives them some green bean casserole, but they don't really contact. Is that safe or is that, I mean. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's definitely much safer than, than eating together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we do know that COVID can persist on surfaces, but that, that does not appear to be the primary mode of transmission. It's much more likely comes from coughing and sneezing and, and more mm-hmm. respiratory droplets. So right. that's, that's another way that you can really still sort of share meals with so each other. So you can still find somebody else to cook the turkey, hopefully maybe <laughs> share it. Sure I see, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, maybe I can still get somebody to make me a turkey. <laughs> That's a good idea. I uh, dropped off some holiday beverages to a guy that we work with in here and included some Clorox wipes with them. There you go. So you can clean them up too, make sure they're, uh-huh. all, they're yep. all good. Yep. So cool. I kind of, I guess, changing gears just a little bit, um, just kind of more of an update on where things are at for Jackson mm. in, our, in our area, and maybe even the state too. 
I guess, how is this second surge or what we're seeing yeah. now? Has it, how has it been different, I guess, for for the state, for maybe Southeast Michigan, for, for Jackson in particular? Like what's, what's different? I mean, besides obviously the number, it's a lot yeah. bigger. Yeah, the, I mean, the number is one obvious thing that there are more cases now. I think the major difference is in the spring, there was really concentrated pockets uh, that were really getting hit hard. And so Detroit was probably the biggest one, right? Mm-hmm. Detroit had a really difficult time in the spring. Uh, this is a much more kind of broad-based surge. So there's really not a single county in the state that's spared right now. Everybody is experiencing cases. Uh, we're seeing a lot more on the west side of the state, around Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, those areas that were very lightly hit in the spring. And and I would put us in that category too. We saw very, very mild Okay. case burden in the spring and now we're we're seeing you know 10 times what we mm. what we saw back then so i think that's one thing is it's much more broadly distributed the the uh the distribution of cases involves younger people now much more so than it did i think in the spring and a lot of that has to do with you know school and sports and things like that and now those have been shut down uh at least at the high school level uh-huh. But that's just a reality of folks getting together and, and you have to balance education and mm-hmm. uh, right with with the reality we're in now. So that's, I think, another change is there's been a lot more of these, the kind of younger demographics that have been, been more involved. My, my wife works at a local educational institution and four of her six student workers have gotten contracted COVID yeah. in the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I don't think that's an uncommon, <laughs> yeah, an uncommon yeah. story. And you know, it's it's easier, uh, frankly, in uh, the age group more of us are in who are working here that mm-hmm. we can work remote, we can right. do things to mitigate our environment. But if you're somebody who's a school age, you know, child, um, you're going to be in an environment more often. That, yeah. Yeah. And this is not, I'm not criticizing schools at all. I think they have a incredibly difficult job right now to try and figure mm-hmm. out how to educate people safely. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard, yeah. uh, but it's it, the environment by itself just presents risk. Yeah. And, and universities, universities living in a dorm. Uh, yeah. And I think really a, tough. we have little ones, Dave and I do, yes, and I just, do. they're, they are germ factories. I mean, they don't think about the touching their face and, and doing all these things. And it's just, it's just common to them. And they roll yeah. on the floor. And I think everything. that's one of the most, one of the most common questions that I've gotten from, from staff here is they've had uh, somebody at their daycare who tested positive. Mm. And so their child was exposed. Yep. And so they're asking if they can still come to work mm. with a child who is exposed. Um, and the unfortunate answer to that is, is no, if you have a young child that needs your, your care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If your child is 16 and can go live in the basement by him or herself, exactly, then you're not in contact with that person. But if you are going to be in constant contact with your three, four, five, six-year-old, then mm-hmm. it's there's not really a way to separate you from that exposure. And so you're going to be quarantined just like your child. So that's that's been a really common uh, challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's why I think there's, you know, some schools have, you know, teacher shortages because you know, some teachers have students that get sick and it's just yes. it's, it's a yeah. difficult situation. And I heard you talk about this yesterday about quarantining. What is What is an actual quarantine? Like, I, I was thinking, you know, you stay in your room for a couple of days, and but that's not exactly what it is. What what do you do if you have to quarantine? So the there's two terms that I think are important for people to know. One is isolation and the other is quarantine. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, quarantine is, is I think, the one that's just more more well-known. Right. But quarantine doesn't really apply if somebody is sick. The difference is between people who are sick or if they've been exposed to someone who's sick. So if somebody's sick, if they're symptomatic, they're, they're isolated. Okay. Uh, and if somebody's in isolation, they're supposed to stay, uh, you know, in their room, <laughs> right? Right. They're not supposed to take meals with other people. You leave the food at the door kind of thing, use a separate bathroom. Um, the rules for quarantine are really the same. I mean, you're trying to prevent interaction with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the difference is that person hasn't developed any symptoms yet. Mm. And there are actually countries, we don't, we don't do it this aggressively, uh, but there are countries where as part of contact tracing, they do video chats with people. Mm-hmm. And on the first day of the video chat, they will have the person take a picture of something in their house which you couldn't really move very easily, like a dresser or something. And so they'll do the video chat with the person in front of the dresser. So they know that when they randomly video chat you (laughs) during the day, that you have to pick up the phone and you have to be right next to that dresser because that's where you're supposed to be. Oh, wow. So that's kind of a different level of of just, I think, um, you know, security or or Mm -hmm. that's that's applied to it that that we wouldn't tolerate very well here. But um, those types of techniques have have actually worked very well in mm-hmm. other countries with with pandemic control. Yeah, and I guess kind of a little bit different, but like this from the, like I mentioned, from the, the spring to now, um, we're seeing still a lot of people coming in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the same, but I guess our treatments, we, we know more now, right? A little bit. I think we do know more. Uh, we know more about the symptoms and getting people in we have good resources here in the community. We stood up respiratory clinics very early on. Uh, we have the community paramedic service, which which is actual excellent. And we actually, if somebody tests positive at our drive-through, mm-hmm. we have a team of nurses that calls every positive case uh, to tell them they were positive, and then based on an algorithm and their symptoms, we'll call them up to two times a day, every day, to make sure mm-hmm. we're monitoring. Uh, how sick that person is. And if they're really sick, they may be told to go to the respiratory clinic or we may send the community paramedic out to them to help get that care happening as soon as it can and help keep people out of the hospital. Um, I, I think that's made a difference. Uh, I don't have a study that I could show that, that mm-hmm. you know, we could say that's definitely been the case, but I think that earlier intervention has made has made a big difference. And then when folks do end up in the hospital, uh, we do we do have more tools um, there are some medications that have come out, and and um, the use of steroids has been uh, better validated now. So um, I think the providers in the, and I'm not one of them, but the the docs in the hospital that that take care of the sicker patients, I think know when and 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 why to give certain medications, mm-hmm. and th- those things have been helpful. That's great, good. And I guess kind of try to end on a little bit of a positive note here. <laughs> um, I, I know recently there was a, a couple of vaccines that mm-hmm. were said to have been, you know, mm. over 90% effective yep. and are kind of moving forward. I guess I know I've heard questions of, you know, concerns, I guess, from people, you know, it's, it's been a, for vaccines, it's been a quick process, you know, will it be safe for the, you know, you know, how, how does, how do trials work? And then I guess, what are your thoughts kind of when, when that becomes available? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's, there's two vaccines that uh, we've, we've heard are effective. The first is a Pfizer vaccine. Uh, the second is Moderna. And uh, the Moderna vaccine trial, actually, um, Henry Ford Health System was one of the, one of the trial sites. So uh, there's people that are 
potentially listening that actually got the Moderna vaccine <laughs> wow. mm-hmm. or they got a placebo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but so, so we were part of that study. The, the technology in those two vaccines are different. Um, but so the Pfizer in particular is based on really a very, uh, well-established, mm-hmm. um, approach to vaccine development. And so whether, it's for coronavirus or for another virus, it's very, very similar to what's been used before. Uh, and so I think the the safety there, we have a lot of very similar type vaccines we can compare to. Mm-hmm. And and I should say in general, even though, uh, even though it's been a rapid development period mm-hmm. with, with the vaccines, uh, vaccines in general are extremely safe. Mm-hmm. You know that's kind of a hot button topic for, yeah, for just the world we live in. Uh, but they're extremely safe. Uh, I actually consider immunization to be one of the. It's really one of the seminal achievements for science in the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, we have eradicated diseases that plague humanity for thousands of years, and uh, and so the the cost benefit trade off of immunization outweighs. Uh, essentially anything we do anywhere else in medicine. <laughs> so they're, yeah. they're extremely effective. They're and, tremendous accomplishments. Hmm. Um, so th- the main differences, at least now, between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, uh, the, the Moderna vaccine is a different mechanism. It uses what's called, uh, it uses your own uh, machinery in the cells in your body to, to make the, 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 uh, the the piece of the virus that your body will become immune to okay and so that's kind of a different approach and so i think most people have hesitancy about that because it's just a different way to Mm -hmm. to have a vaccine work but there are upsides to that vaccine because the pfizer one has to be stored in a freezer at minus 70. that's gonna be really hard to distribute to people Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the moderna vaccine you can put in a refrigerator and it'll last for at least the last time i heard was 30 days like that so So there are kind of like trade-offs with these things. Okay. There's probably going to be multiple other vaccines that that ultimately come down the uh, come down the road in the next couple months. We're we're not sure yet how much and when we're going to get. There, there's reports that we're going to get some immunizations before the end of the year, and the health system should have access to some of those doses, but it may be a very small amount. You know, maybe just even a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we really we really don't know yet. Um, how much and when the the main bottleneck on the vaccines is manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes if you think about the flu vaccine every year, scientists have to predict which strains of flu are going to be prevalent next year because mm-hmm. it takes like six to nine months to manufacture the amount of doses that we need mm-hmm. to then distribute widely. So we're we're doing that process now with COVID vaccine. Yeah. Uh, n- none of which, at least I don't think as of today, have been FDA approved yet. Uh, it's the, the, the news we got was from the, the trial that right. the companies did, but they have not submitted for, um, what's called emergency youth off, emergency use authorization from mm-hmm. the FDA. Mm-hmm. And so that should be coming, coming soon that they'll go through that process. Mm-hmm. So, and we mentioned the flu vaccine is still very important. I assuming, right? It's very important to yes, get that. Very important. Um, yeah, everyone should still get their flu vaccine. Um, I know it's still a requirement <laughs> if you work if you yeah. work for the hospital. So yes. um, I've gotten mine. My whole team has gotten theirs. So it's very very important to still get the flu vaccine this year. Okay, great. 
So yeah, so hopefully some good news coming soon with with vaccines and trying to, I guess, for better or worse, getting things back to normal. I think I do us. think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it is very different now than it was in the spring where we knew very we knew a lot less. We we know much more now. Uh, there does appear to be vaccines that are effective on the horizon. So I, I think this is sort of head down and tough it out for another couple months, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to start to see the impact of some of these these modalities we have like the vaccine that can help us get back to normal uh, but it's it does take time to scale that up so we still have yeah. to be be vigilant and wash hands and, and wear the masks and it will be like this for a little while longer mm-hmm. but but there is a light at the end of the tunnel yeah and it's great to when, when i go out and get groceries or something i'm actually seeing most people wearing masks so that's actually encouraging too, i think so. that's true i think most people are trying mm-hmm um, yep. But we're all tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are tired and it's, it's okay, but we got to keep trying. Yep, that's mm-hmm. right. Doing our best. So, uh, Dr. Katayan, thank you so much for joining us today, you know, ahead of the holidays and everything um, on, on our, our podcast. And we want to keep everybody, hope, wish everybody a, mm-hmm. uh, a safe and healthy holiday season. Absolutely. My pleasure. Right. Thanks for having me. Thanks.